Good morning. How's everyone? I will say, first of all, we don't have nursery today because of various reasons, things providentially not working out, whatever. And so, if you normally have your child in nursery and you're in here and your child gets loud, it's not going to bother me. If it continues on for a very long time, it might, but... But don't worry about sounds. I like the sounds of children. Uh, we should all like the sounds of children. Um, so I will try to speak loudly if I need to. Um, and uh, as quickly as I can. But, so turn, with, turn to James, of course. James chapter 1 is where we'll be, <clears throat> verse 27, so let's read that, um, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That's, that's as far as we're going to read right now. Um, I spent a lot of time in the hospital this week with, with uh, Scotty. Uh, you'll be glad to know that he's home, but um, that's where I wrote most of my sermon. And so I think my surroundings sort of started to bleed into how I was reading James. <laughs> um, so I started thinking as I was there, I should probably get a checkup. Um, You know, since I'm almost into my 40s now, it's about time I I do that. I don't don't feel like anything really needs needs to be checked out. I feel good overall. In fact, I've lost 12 pounds recently. My secret to that is three days of of a stomach bug followed by two weeks of a a pretty bad cough. So that's my secret. Those, Those work pretty well for that kind of stuff. But I feel pretty good, actually. So if I were to go to the doctor, I would, the doctor would undoubtedly ask me, you know, you're here for a checkup, how do you feel? And I would say, great. Sometimes when the tests come back after we answer that question, the test results back up, you know, what our answer is. But sometimes they don't. Sometimes the test shows that things aren't so great. Uh, they find something that a patient really didn't know was there. And so suddenly the patient doesn't feel so good. What we might think of James asking his readers, um, how are you doing uh, spiritually? Um, you might be expecting something in return like, well, Pastor James, I think I'm doing pretty good. I, they might answer it like, I'm religious. And so James gives them some tests for a checkup. There might be something that they're not seeing, a blind spot. And we all, we all have blind spots. And so tests like this are good for us. Tests like this are like EKGs or blood tests or, or x-rays. Um, because blood tests and EKGs and, and x-rays, they look under the surface of things. If we, have, if we go to the doctor because we have a skin problem, we know the problem is there and we can point to it and take it to the doctor. But, but blood tests and EKGs and you know, things like that or x-rays, they look under the surface. Um, to see something we might not know anything about. And that's what James' tests do. James started, as we saw last week, with the tongue or words. 
While our words are easily accessible, we can hear them, they reveal what's going on more than just with our mouths, but with our hearts. As Jesus said, Luke 6, out of the abundance of the heart, um, the mouth speaks. And what these heart tests reveal is whether or not our religion is pure and undefiled or whether it's, it's a worthless one. So verse 26, worthless. Verse 27, pure and undefiled. If you are here last week, we said that religion is how our faith shows itself in our life. So we looked at chapter 2, verse 1 as an example. If, if God has truly given us life, as he says in verse 18 of chapter 1, then our faith in Jesus will show itself by removing partiality from our lives. So that's the first verse of, of chapter 2. If God has brought us forth by the word of truth, then we'll look at and we'll treat everyone as they should be treated. It won't matter if they are rich or if they are poor, if they're black or if they're white, if they're in our circles, if they're not in our circles. It won't matter. We'll treat everyone as they should be treated. We'll, um, we'll start talking about that next year. But as I said last week, we, we, we looked at our religion through the lens of, of our words or our mouths. And if our religion is worthless, our tongues will be unbridled. And if our religion is pure and undefiled, then our um, tongues will be bridled. We'll use our words to glorify God. We'll use our words to edify others. We'll use our words to speak truth to others. We'll use our words uh, to evangelize. So that was the first test of our spiritual checkup. And we'll come back to that again in in chapter 3. But I'm sure that all of us realized uh, after looking into that, that there's something, there's issues that we have in our hearts because of of our words. And I pray that that we were all doers of the word in response to that and repented. That's what doers of the word do when when the Bible shows them something wrong. We turn from what we shouldn't do, we turn towards what we should do. Well, this week the test is a compassionate heart. And on December 31st, it's going to be an an unstained life. I thought December 31st, New Year's sermon, unstained life would be a good good New Year's sermon. But we're going to spend our time today on a a compassionate heart. But before we get to those, what does James mean by a religion that is pure and undefiled? Now, I have to remember who James is writing to, um, his original audience, and that's Jewish Christians. So what sort of pictures do you think those words pure and undefiled, you know, sort of paint for them? Instead of pure, think clean. It's the same word. But growing up Jewish, they knew that it was, <clears throat> that if, for example, they touched a dead, a dead person, that they would be unclean. They have to go through a period of time that would allow them to go through the necessary, you know, to fulfill the obligations in order to be made clean again so that they could go to the, the temple. Certain illnesses could make a person unclean. Certain foods could make a person unclean. If you're unclean, as I said, you, just, you couldn't go to the temple. We're under the new covenant, but, but the idea that that was getting across in the old covenant is, is similar. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to have your entire life consumed with loving God. Under the new covenant, we're told that we are to, whatever, whether, you, uh, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All those old covenant laws that sound weird to us, some of them, it's getting across that idea to old covenant Israel that everything matters. And so everything should be devoted then to loving God. 
whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Ultimately, the law was to show them that no one can live that way. That no one can live their life that way. The moral law still shows us that. We can't practice a clean and undefiled religion. We can't. But Jesus did. And that's our hope under the new covenant. Jesus' life was clean. Jesus' life was, was undefiled. And his death paid for our unclean life. His death paid for our defilement. And so our religion, the what we do with our faith stuff, is to be clean and undefiled. We'll say more about this when we get on the 31st, because I think that word is directly tied to, to what he talks about in terms of being unstained. Um, but the pure and undefiled religion is to have your life entirely consumed with loving God. Now, as Christians, as believers, we are to continue to, to strive for that. Remember last week I said that it's attempt versus contempt. We're not going to do it perfectly, but we do strive to do everything to the glory of God. So we keep attempting, and over time our attempts get stronger and stronger and stronger. To show contempt is to hear God's word and walk away unchanged. So, so whether it's bridling our tongues or, or whether it's a compassionate heart or it's an unstained life, Whatever we're not doing well at as believers who have been given life, we keep doing. We don't walk away unchanged. We keep striving for the pure and undefiled religion. And one more thing before we get to the compassionate heart. You see that word and between visit widows and orphans and to keep oneself unstained? Um, we're not getting that second half of that today or to explain, but that word and isn't in the original that divides the two phrases. Some of your Bibles might even have it italicized. Now, italics means it's not in the original um, manuscript. Um, but to visit, to keep. So it's not to visit and to keep. It's to visit, to keep. It's like one coin. It's like a coin. Pure and undefiled religion is the head. And, and, and keeping oneself unstained from the world is the, is the tails. It's two sides of, of, of one coin. And so it's... And it's not, it's not just having a compassionate heart that feels something. And it's, it's not just living in isolation, keeping yourself away from everything. It's compassion in action, and it's holiness actually in action. And so really what this is, it's to be like God. Compassion in action and holiness in, in action. That's what it's like to be like God. Of course we're going to fail. And so we look into this mirror and we're going to see stuff on our faces and we're going to take this test and we're going to see that there's issues going down, down in, our, in our hearts. That's the power of verse 18 and verse 21 of chapter 1. We have been rebirthed after the image of God in righteousness and holiness of the truth and we're being progressively saved from the power of sin over our lives. I say all of this to encourage us because we're going to find things in this passage as we look at it today that we're not doing well, that we're not having, we're not compassionate in action as we should be. I'm trying to encourage us before we get to it, to not turn away from it, but to be encouraged. Peter tells us that God has given us everything that pertains to godliness, that he's not withheld anything that pertains to godliness, to be like him as much as we can in this. And so we are to be encouraged. So we hear something that we're not doing well, that's not perfectly imaged in our life. As we look at Christ, we should be encouraged 
because that's God's promise that he's going to make us more like him. And so we should be excited when God shows and reveals something to us that we're not doing very well, when he reveals sin to us, because God actually, unlike a doctor, God actually does make um, crooked things straight. God actually does heal what is sick. God actually does change what needs to be changed. And, and so we should be excited as we, as we run into this passage. But if you're not his, the change that you need most is to be born from above. That's what you need to hear. And you're going to hear the gospel this morning. And so if you're not a believer, you're a child, come into this church for a long time maybe, but have never actually professed Christ to be your Savior, have never truly believed, or an adult, a visitor or an adult. I don't think there's too many visitors here today, but if you're, you're an adult, you've never truly believed the gospel, you're going to hear the gospel today. The main change you need to know about or to hear about is the one that only God can do through that gospel. And so I pray that you would listen to it today. So, again, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. The first thing we have to say about this verse, this is not teaching a social gospel. It's not saying that as as long as you do good things like visit orphans and, and widows, it doesn't matter if you, you know, it's Christmas, it doesn't matter if you don't believe in the, in the um, virgin birth. It's not saying that if, you know, if, as long as you do good things like visit orphans and widows, it doesn't matter if you don't believe in the incarnation of the Son of God. It's not, it's not saying that as long as you do good things, then God's going to look past your heresy or God's going to look past your, your unbelief. Of course not. A compassionate heart is just one of many things that make up the pure and undefiled religion. It's the one that James picks to shows us what's going on underneath because something like this really gets at it, I think. If we're going to be like God, then we'll have compassionate hearts. And so visiting widows and orphans in their affliction or in their distress is a good way for us to, to see or to test our own hearts. So this is what God is like, Psalm 68, 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 146, 9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widows and the fatherless. It's hard to, 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 to read through the Torah and not come across many, many passages that talk about how God visits the orphans, how God visits the widows. And read the rest of the Old Testament. It's a call for us to be like him and to to do the same. But, but here's two verses. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. The Lord watches over the sojourners or the aliens. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. James is calling us to be like that. So visiting orphans and, and widows is the test. And so we ought to be people that visit orphans and widows in their affliction. In James' time, of course, this was necessary. They didn't have the social programs that, that we have today. Widows and orphans were in, were in desperate need, urgent need. But that's not an excuse for us now, just because we do have social programs that we're not required then to visit orphans and, and widows. That's silly. Because the needs of the orphan and the widow are greater than what our government social programs can, can certainly provide. And the word actually for orphans and the word for widows actually helps us see that and it helps us get an idea of what it was like to be an orphan and a widow in those times and what it's like to be an orphan and a widow now. So orphan, the word orphan actually, it's a transliteration of, a, of the word orphanus. So orphan isn't a, a word, you know, you know unique to, to, to English. It's taken off of that Greek word directly. 
Orphanus, Orphanus, or however you say it. But orphan comes from that. Um, and actually, it means obscure and dark. Orphanus or Orphanus means obscure and dark. So the idea is those who wander in obscurity and darkness. And so the idea there is a, a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. They're isolated, that no one's loving them, that no one's looking after them. We see another description in John 14, 18, um, which I'll come back to again later, but Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I think the, the King James Version actually translated as comfortless. I will not leave you comfortless. And Jesus isn't speaking about literal orphans here, but about he's, he's talking to his disciples, and so he's talking to us, but he's, 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 he's talking to believers, and so he's, I'm not, not going to leave you as orphans. And, and so he, he's, he's leaving, he's promising that the Spirit is going to come um, as another helper. Um, so he's talking to us as well, but, but since he's not, not, since he's not going to leave them as orphans, what it's like to be an orphan is what it's like for everyone who is apart from Christ and does not have the Holy Spirit. So everyone who does not love Christ, verse 15, and everyone, John 14, and everyone who needs help, verse 16, and everyone who cannot see the truth or who do not see the truth, verse 17. That's what it's like to be an orphan, Jesus is saying. If you're not a believer here today, that's you. You're like an orphan. You need what Jesus promised. You need the Spirit to change your heart. You need the Spirit to direct you to truth. And Jesus is the, the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so the Holy Spirit's primary job is to point us to Christ. And so you need the Spirit to, to point you to, to Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would today. I pray that Today, you would come to know God as Father. But to know God as Father, you must come through the Son. So an orphan is a, is a picture of us without Christ, but it's a good picture because without parents, an orphan is, is someone who is wandering in obscurity and in darkness and without comfort. Another passage, Lamentations 5.3, we have become orphans and fatherless. And the idea here, fatherless, means that, that, that it's, it's like they're nobodies. They're certainly treated like they're nobodies. But the idea is that that's their condition. Without, without a father, they struggle with things like identity, or they struggle with things like, like naturally belonging um, to others. And that's what these words convey, a, a comfortlessness, a walking in obscurity and darkness, not noticed. Um, nobody's. Then the word widows, 1 Timothy 5.5, 5, she who is truly a widow, we'll come back to this again also, but she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. You see that word left alone? Then that she is who is truly a widow, left all alone, meaning she doesn't have any other family members. She who is truly a widow is left all alone. Some translation have that as desolate, left desolate. The Old Testament word for widows actually sometimes translated directly that way as, as desolate, a desolate place. And so it's the idea of someone who is alone and lonely without companionship. We can almost apply most of what we say about the orphan actually to the widow. <clears throat> but they're bereaved of their husbands. So think about everything that the Bible says that a husband should be for a wife, and that she doesn't have that anymore. A head to, to follow trustingly. 
someone to wash them with the word and with prayer, someone to protect them. They've, they've lost that. Aunt Nancy was married over 60 years. That's what she had for 60 years. And then in an instant, she doesn't. So, so think of any orphans and, and widows that you know. We have some in our church. And look how James describes them in their affliction. Literally, it's in their crushing, in their time of crushing. The weight of their affliction is, is crushing them. You get that, right? From, from what we've said already about orphans and widows, the Bible paints this picture for us. They're being crushed by their circumstances of life. So a you know, quick question just to get us thinking. Remember how James started this whole letter. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. We all have trials going on. If we don't have a trial going on right now, we're, we're about to. We should, uh, but we should consider them worthy of joy because God is using them to make us perfect and complete and lacking in nothing, or God is using them to make us more like Christ. And then remember what James says next in verses 5 through 8, to, to live like Christ in the midst of our trials, to become more and more like Christ. We need wisdom, and so we ask for wisdom, and James defines wisdom as coming down from above, and the last two things he says about it is that it's full of mercy and and good fruits. To be like Jesus, here's what wisdom looks like. Show mercy to others. Even when you're in your own trial, show mercy to others. Like those who are being crushed by their trial. So those of us who are going through a trial, would you describe your trial like a crushing? Like it feels like a crushing? Probably not. But there are some in this room who do describe their trial like a weight crushing them. And this is for everyone. James is writing to the entire congregation. It's not just elders and deacons, though we should be leading the way. But it's for everyone. I have three applications for what it means to, to visit those who are being crushed by their trials. Three applications for how we you know, be like God with compassion and action towards those who are in you know, their greatest need, like widows and orphans. But because we're you know, trying to be like God, we should look at how God is like this. And so if we were to think of how God cares for or looks out for or visits widows, who's the first person you think of in the Bible? Who's the first person you think of God visiting a, or caring for a widow? Anybody? Ruth. Yeah, that's who I thought of. That's um, the story of God's compassion to two widows. Naomi's the main one, but, but to two widows, her and Ruth. God sees them in their affliction and shows them loving kindness. Loving kindness is the Hebrew word that is ch uh, chesed. And it's basically the blending together of lots of different words. It's like love and grace and, and mercy all sort of thrown in together. And the idea is that you see someone in, in their misery and you're moved then to, to go to them. And because you have the power or the ability to meet their needs, you move towards them and you help them. That's God's attribute of, of chesed. It's, it's loving kindness. He moves toward the pitiful and cares for them. And so how does he care for these two widows? Well, remember the concept of the, of the Leverite marriage. Naomi and Ruth are both widows, and Boaz takes Ruth as his wife to fulfill the responsibility of the Leverite marriage. And so what is that? Well, that's when there's a woman in the family who's a widow with no children and the nearest male kinsman redeemer buys her land and takes her as his wife 
A woman without a man had no future in those days, and so the concept of, of a Leverite marriage was there by God's grace to provide for the widow. So Bozeman is the, Bozeman, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. He's the extended family member who, who draws near and redeems Ruth and redeems the land. I think that's an, it's a, it's an interesting highlight about the, the, the heart of God, of the, 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 the attributes of God, how He cares for those who are being crushed by their circumstances, by their trials. If you know the story, you know that Naomi felt very much like she was being crushed. She changed her name to, to Bitter. But she should have considered her devastating trial worthy of joy because God would not, not see her in her affliction. God would not not care for her. He had a way for her to be cared for through this Levite marriage. And so that's how God cared for her. But it's also a picture of who Jesus is to us as our kinsman redeemer. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through, through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil or the deliverer, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So you see how this fits. We are of flesh and blood. And Christ drew near to us by taking on flesh and blood. And so that he could deliver us from our slavery to sin and death and bring us to himself. And so we were all like orphans and widows. Spiritually, we were desperate and walking in obscurity and darkness. We needed help. We needed to be guided. We needed to be protected. We needed to be washed with the word and with, with prayer, and God saw, saw our need, and visited us with salvation. Christ came and visited us with salvation. He is our kinsman redeemer. So that is what God is like, to see someone in their need and to visit them with their need or with the help for their need. And we're called to be like that, to be like the father who is the father to the fatherless, to be like the father who relieves the widow of her distress. And so, so if you think about it, and you measure yourself against this, against visiting orphans, visiting widows, how, what do the tests reveal? Are you like that? Do you care for those who, in great, who are in great need around you? Do you care for them in action? That's where we come next those applications I mentioned. And we get there naturally with the word visit. What does it mean to visit? To visit actually means to look upon and to examine, to look closely, almost to inspect. But not just to look upon as, a, as an observer from the outside and to be aware of something theoretically or in your head, but so that you can care for. And so it's like attend to, to take care of. That's what a visit is. It's to see, it's to examine, it's to know the needs, and then it's to care for those needs. So, so we need to be people who are concerned about the welfare of the, of the helpless among us. Those who are in their greatest need, that our hearts are, are moved towards them. And so what, is, what does all this look like? How can we do that? First of all, it means... That we are to be there for them. John 14, 18, again, I will not leave you as orphans. And Jesus follows that up with, I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I won't leave you desolate. I will not leave you all alone. I will not leave you for, for yourself to figure out life for yourself. 
I'm going to come to you. I'll be there for you. As we said earlier, he sent the, the Spirit. So he didn't leave us desolate. He didn't leave you desolate. He didn't leave you without guidance, without protection. So the first thing is to be there for, for orphans and to be there for widows. Matthew 25 43, the opposite. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you, you did not visit me. Same word that James uses. You weren't there for me. You didn't look on me. You didn't take note of me. You didn't pay attention to me. You walked past me. Well, how? How was that? How did we do that? Well, when you do that to the least of these, you do that to me, is what he says. So visiting means here being there, but it's, it's coming to, it's, it's looking upon, it's, it's paying attention to them. A, a compassionate heart notices the needs that, that are around him, takes the time to, to pay attention to those who are around them, who are especially identified as those who are in great need. And that's what it's talking about. Acts 6.1, now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. This is the opposite. The, the Grecian widows were being overlooked, rejected, neglected. No one was, was paying attention to them. And they're crying out, we need some help. We should be the opposite. We know who they are. We should see them. We should... Be aware of their need. Come to them. Second thing, growing out of that, is to care for them, as I said before. But 1 Timothy 5.16, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. It's kind of a funny way to, to word things here, but this verse tells us a couple of different things. First, um, care for means to relieve them of their burden. Now, here it's primarily financial. Um, we'll, we'll get to some others in, in just a moment, but it's primarily financial here. Second, if the, if the widow has family members like children and grandchildren still living, and then the financial burden is to be theirs. Um, first, if we have family members who are orphans, if we have family members who are widows, then that's something that we should be supplying. We should be helping to relieve a, a financial burden. But if the widow is without family, without children without grandchildren who can support them or help them, and the church meets their needs. But oftentimes, oftentimes, widows are just sort of discarded even by their own family members. And so they're not cared for by their own family members. And so the church, I think, should step up in that place uh, to care for the needs of those. Maybe call for the children to do more, but, but if not, to care for them. And lastly, protect them. Widows and orphans are especially vulnerable. We remember our study through, through Micah, uh, but in Isaiah chapter 1, similar time frame, speaking of the same people. Uh, Isaiah 1.23 says, Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause is not come to them. This sort of the picture is they're so busy making money or receiving gifts that they just don't even think about the widows or think about the orphans. They're too, they're, they're, they're too busy. That's a, sort of a nice way of saying it. 
Isaiah goes further, chapter 10, to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. Israel was, was, was fleecing their own widows and orphans. We know today this, the same thing happens oftentimes. It's those who, it's easy to take advantage of people who don't have a natural system of protection like a family. Therefore, they need protection. And as Christians, we need to protect them whenever we can, however we can. But before we get to you know, how we practically do all of this, what does this reveal about you? Again, I ask that. Do you, do you have a compassionate heart like God's? How many times have you, have you reached out to someone in need? How many times have we just walked by someone in need? We, we do it in our own families, oftentimes. People are hurting. We just don't notice. But especially those maybe outside of our family, but in the church, we're to look to the needs of our brothers and sisters in, in Christ. Have a heart like God towards them. How, how are we doing in that? A lot of times we think, you know, the checkup, how are you doing? How are you doing spiritually? That We do, go through the list and we say, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I go to church every Sunday. I go to flock every Wednesday. I read my Bible more days than I don't. I pray more days than I then I don't. Those are all necessary. Those are all parts of the good things that God has given to us that He does not withhold from us to help us to become like Him, to become godly. Peter. But they are, but they are to produce in us. If we're reading the Bible and we're worshiping with God's people and we're praying, it should be producing in us um, a compassionate heart. So First John 3, 17 through 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, he closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I'm sure we're all aware right now of how we fail. I know I am. I'm aware of how I fail in, re- in regards to this. But if we're truly believers, then there are moments of compassionate hearts in, in action. At times. But, but doesn't this reveal that there should be more from our hearts? Doesn't this reveal that there should be more maybe being done from us towards others for those who are in their time of crushing? The, the loss of parents, the loss of a husband, the loss of a wife, it's a devastating trial. It can be totally overwhelming. But it's not as though God, just, God did not bring this trial into their life. If that's you, it's not as though God did not bring this, this trial into your life, just like he did for Naomi, just like he did for, for Ruth. And if you're a believer, then Jesus has not left you as an, as an orphan or even as a widow, not spiritually. He has come to you. He sent the Spirit to you, and he will ultimately guide you. Ultimately, he will protect you. Ultimately, he will comfort you. But he's also given you a family. So he's given you a local church, a that's around you, that's to be your family, to help carry or relieve the burdens that you bear. It's something that we can all do better. I can admit that, that I need to do better. That's part of my goal for 2024, is to be better at at visiting, especially widows. It's a question for all of us of how we're reaching out to those who are in their time of crushing. And so how do we then do this? Well, the first thing we need to do is to look at Jesus. 
The first thing and the, always the first thing is you go to the Word and you look at Christ. Um, oftentimes people ask me about reading plans, especially at this time of year. I, they probably don't ask me. I interject reading plans for them. And, you, and, and oftentimes what I'll say is like, what are you struggling with? Maybe it's a theological issue or maybe it's a sin issue. And so you've re- maybe last couple of weeks, you, you've, you've, you've come to see that you, you have a problem with bridling your tongue, or you have a problem now talking today about a, having a compassionate heart. But we'll set up your year according to that. Set up your reading plan according to that. The Bible is not a shotgun that we sort of read and just throw at everything. It's a precise tool. It's a sword. And so use it precisely. And so set up your plan. The elders can help you with this. Set up your plan to help you in regards to this. So if if you're struggling with a compassionate heart or being compassionate towards others, then, then let us help you set up a reading plan that will attack that sin. And, and that's how we do that. So we look into the Word and we, we, we look first at Christ. And so that, that's what Paul does for people who are struggling with not putting the needs of others first, right? Philippians chapter 2, look, look not at your own self first, but look to the needs of, of others. And he doesn't just stop there and just say, just do it. Just start looking at the needs of others. No, he takes us to Christ and he says... This is what that looks like. Jesus, who is God, became a servant so that he could bless and he could serve others. It would be like that. <laughs> look at Jesus. And so that's the first thing. Look, look at Christ as you, as you attack this sin. Learn from Christ. And then make a plan, as I said before, about how to read, how to study, how to meditate through this, through this issue. And along with that, make plans for how to show compassion to those that, who are in their time of crushing. So what can you do? What are things that you can do practically? Well, adoption is something. Josh and Kara Lure are someone to talk to about, about adoption. That's something that you can do. We were adopted by God, right? It's a beautiful picture. The act of adopting another is a beautiful picture of the gospel. So adoption is one. Fostering is another. There's lots of good foster um, care agencies that are, that, that are around. We can sort of guide you towards some of those. We fostered. It's very difficult. Kids that were older, kids that are older are taken out of homes for reasons. And so they come with lots of scar tissue, lots of difficult days. But if you can't foster, maybe that's something you can't do, but you could also foster, do foster respite care. And so that was one of the biggest things that that we, we've done that as well for a family, but, but that, that's one of the biggest things that, 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 that I think that we had at one time, didn't we? Where someone um, took the boys so we could go and you know, just have a weekend to, to, to sort of breathe because we could not stop looking at them. We had to watch them every second of the day. And, and, and so there was um, this respite care was such a blessing to us. That's something that you can do. You have to go through the classes. You have to get a license still, I think, right? But... but um, it's worth it. And you can provide respite care for people who are really going through it with, 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 with kids that they're loving. Um, get involved with Christian orphanages. We have Little Lambs. Talk to Wayne. We have uh, Brian Lee, who sits on the board of the um, orphanage in Haiti. And they are in desperate need for finances right now. Brian, right, right, Brian? So, so, so talk to him. That's a way that you can help them is to is give financially to them or something more. You could talk to him about that. We, we, we could do, you could work at, you know, Gate Pregnancy Center. Uh, volunteer your time there. Volunteer, see what their needs are. You could do an adopt-a-widow thing. <laughs> um, um, help them with household tasks. 
Help them with work, with repairs. But just visit them. You know, in my visits with widows, what I hear mostly is loneliness. The biggest thing I hear is, is like I just, I often hear, I just want to go home. I miss, I miss my husband. I just, I just want to go home. They're lonely. I promise you, if you make time to visit with them, you will be blessed by them. Ask them questions about their life before they lost their husband. And ask them about what life's like now. And talk to them. Listen with them. Listen to them. Pray with them. Read the Bible with them. This might be a way that you can help them consider it worthy of joy, the time they have left. Um, a simple visit can do so much. So a compassionate heart. Compassion in, in action towards those who are in their time of crushing. I pray that you'll take the time to look at the scriptures and let them evaluate you, let them test you in regards to this. I pray that you'll be a doer of the word where scriptures show you where you lack. But last thing, maybe the test results are that you're just, you're really not a believer. Maybe what you see in the mirror of God's word is someone who is, who's never ever loved like that, never truly been moved to action by the distress of others. Again, you're the orphan that I mentioned earlier, wandering in obscurity and darkness. You're like the widow, a, a, a desperate or a desolate place. But, but listen, if that is you here today, that's a good thing that you recognize that. It's a very good thing that you recognize that because the God that I'm proclaiming to you is a God who is full of loving kindness. And he visits people like you with his salvation. And so that would mean you believing the gospel of Jesus Christ that says that Jesus is God. And in the incarnation, he took upon himself flesh like ours, but without sin. Lived perfectly under the law, observing it perfectly. Died on the cross, not for his sins, of course, but for ours was raised three days later for our justification. That's, that's the message you must believe in order for the Heavenly Father to be your Father, in order for Him to visit you in your distress. If that's you, I'd love to speak to you afterwards. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your goodness to us. We thank you that you are the father to the fatherless, that you do relieve and alleviate the widow. And Father, we pray that we would all become more like you, that we would see the needs of others, that we would be moved to action, and that we would seek with whatever means we have to help them. Father, we pray that you would make us more loving in that way towards each other this year, next year. Father, for the one here today who does not know you, Father, we pray that you would show them their desperate need and that in Christ, it's all their solutions. Father, we thank you and we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.